growing in God's Word, and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. In our culture, well, all's fair in love and war. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a, a principle that you and I must learn and never forget, and that is this. Honoring God is always more important than pleasing ourselves. Have you ever heard the saying, all's fair in love and war? As you probably know, what's meant by that is you do whatever you have to do to win when it comes to romance and battle. But is that really true when it comes to love, or does God have a different standard? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you, is the way the King James puts it. Unfortunately, we tend to turn that around and say, do unto others as they have done unto you. Give to them as much as they give to you. Do for them as much as they do for you. Never any anymore. If you begin to see that they're not holding up their end of the bargain, well, you back off. You don't have to do this. But that is the polar opposite of God's idea of selfless love. I'm Rick Freeman. Welcome to Crosswalk. Today, Pastor Clay is continuing his series entitled Life, Love, Legacy, The Story of Ruth. So far in this series, we've learned some valuable truths about life and love. And today, we're continuing our look at the love relationship between Ruth and a man named Boaz. Their courtship and the customs of marriage back then sound a little strange to us today. But as Pastor Clay is going to point out in today's message, there is a characteristic of love that never changes. If you have been with us through this series, we've talked some um, about life and some of the life lessons uh, from the book of Ruth uh, that I think that we can learn and apply. And there was, you can go back and listen to those, by the way, uh, at any point, but just how some of that, how the faith issues have to come into our lives and how we can use that. But the last several weeks, we've been discussing the aspect of love uh, from the book of Ruth. And above everything else, the book of Ruth is a love story. Um, and uh, it's, it's a love story, and I, I know I'm repeating myself if you've been in this series, but it's a love story that you know, there's several different love story relationships going on in the book of Ruth. There is the love relationship uh, between uh, Naomi and Ruth, this mother-in-law, daughter-in-law, this family type of love relationship. And there's this love relationship that we began to explore last week and continue to explore this week between a man named Boaz and Ruth, and then there is the love relationship between God and us that is also part of the overarching story of the book of Ruth. And I talked some about that last week and meta-narrative and what all that means. And, and we'll probably see some more of that again. But throughout this, this section of, of looking at love from the book of Ruth, one of the things that, that I've talked about is that there are certain characteristics that show up in these love stories in the book of Ruth that are really uh, profitable for us to apply to our lives. The, the book, again, the book is telling an overall story that has this overall message about God's love for us. We talked about that some, I think it was last week. But, but within those stories, there are characteristics of love that say, wow, that, that, that's a good characteristic to have in love. That's a, a good way to, that, that my love relationships ought to look. And last week, uh, I brought out that one of the characteristics of love is that love is giving. If you, hear, if you were here last week, I'm sure that it's just 
permanently etched on your mind and, and you remember that distinctly. But I said that love is giving. And within the context of that, and, and as we began to explore this relationship between Boaz and Ruth, I said love is giving. And, and some of the things that we saw about that characteristic is that Boaz gave generously. And that's a characteristic of love, that you give and you give generously. You remember I said that, that the law, that what was established in the Old Testament, the Levitical law that God gave to the nation of Israel to help them get established, to help them, it was, it was never intended to be a permanent thing. It was, it was to help the nation get established and to stay pure and to prepare for uh, how God was going to use them. But within that Levitical law, um, there was this stipulation that if, if, uh, if people were on hard times, Financially, economically, the poor, people were, were poor, they were less, um, had less than you did. If you were a field owner, if you're a farm owner and you're harvesting grain, that you were required to intentionally leave part of the grain out in the fields. You weren't to harvest all of it. You were to have your, you or your workers, whoever it was, they were to intentionally miss some of the stalks of grain as they were harvesting so that those who were less off could come behind you. And I said, you kind of think of it as an early uh, kind of uh, workfare uh, program, but it was God's provision for God's, for, for people. It's just what God does. He's always making provision for people. And so they could come in and they can do that. Well, Boaz did that. He was a man of the law. He, he always did that. But what we discover as this relationship uh, begins to emerge between him and Ruth is that Boaz goes way above and beyond what was required of the law. He just begins, in, and we, again, I'm not going to go through all of it, say, praise the Lord. <laughs> I'm not going to go through all of what I did last week. You can go back and you can listen to that. But, but Boaz just one thing after the other, after the other, after the other, where he just continues to extend this amazing amount of generosity to this woman who not only was a stranger to him, he had heard about her, and that's part of their relationship, he had heard about her, but not only was a stranger to him, not only was well below him on, on the social ladder, if you will, but she also wasn't even a Jew. She had converted to Judaism, she had converted to, to uh, the Jews God had come to believe in him, but she was a Moabite. But yet, Boaz extends this incredibly generous giving. That's, a, that's part of the characteristic of giving love. And another thing that I said was that um, he gave emotionally, that he, he met uh, Ruth's needs emotionally. Uh, it had been a rough few years uh, for Ruth. Uh, she had had a hard life, at least in the last few years, that's for sure. Her, her husband had died. She had, you know, left her family, all these kind of things. All these hard things have happened to Ruth. It's been hard. And Boaz comes into her life as she finds herself in Boaz's field. And Boaz comes into her life and he ministers to her. And he, he just pours into her life and he begins to bless her and praise her and commend her for what she has done. And you can tell, if you go back and read there in chapter 2, you can tell by her response that she is moved by this man's generosity and kindness to her. And it affects her emotionally. That's a characteristic of giving love. I don't know if I said this last week or not, and it's purely speculation on my part, but I believe that, that where this, this thing is transpiring in chapter 2 and where Ruth responds after, after Boaz shows all of his kindness to her and she responds, you know, why would you do this to me? And you've spoken kindly to me. I believe that's the moment that Ruth began to fall in love with Boaz. I said, I can't, I can't, it's nothing in scripture about that. It's just purely speculation on my part. But I believe that's the moment that Ruth began to fall in love with Boaz. Because, ladies and gentlemen, particularly gentlemen, <laughs> Brad Pitt looks 
And six-pack abs might catch a woman's eye, but meeting her emotional needs will catch her heart. All right. Some man said amen. <laughs> it's, tr- it's true, right? Uh, we talked about that last week. Uh, uh, I'm not saying men aren't, aren't needy. They are needy. <laughs> men are needy. Some those needs might be a little different, but men have needs. Men have emotional needs. But, but women... Um, predominantly are more emotion-based. Men perhaps are more sense-oriented. Women are more emotion-based. It's not a counseling session or all that kind of stuff, but that's just what you find. And so women have emotional needs that need to be met. And, and guys, it doesn't, it doesn't matter if we don't understand. It doesn't matter if we don't think it's that big a deal. It doesn't matter if we don't get it. <laughs> what matters is that we understand God's Directive to us in Ephesians chapter 5 that a husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. In other words, we die to ourselves. We die to what we want to do or what our preferences are and we put the needs of our spouse ahead of us. We put the needs of our our wife. Boaz displayed this characteristic of meeting Ruth, not only her her, uh, material needs, but her emotional needs. And then the last thing that I said about this love is giving was that uh, it's selfless. That Boaz displayed this, this selfless love. He did it selflessly in how he acted toward her. Um, again, Boaz is wealthy. He's rich. He's a respected uh, man in the community. And Ruth is this Moabitess woman who has, has come into the land and she is basically a, a beggar. She's gone out into the fields to, to hope to get enough uh, seed to make enough bread for her and her mother-in-law just to, to live off of for that day and then go do it again the next day and all this kind of stuff. And although it was way outside of the cultural norm for him to do it, Boaz humbly, selflessly serves Ruth, you can go back and read it, how he serves her lunch, gives her the leftovers to, to take home to Naomi. But it was just this display of selfless love. And can I tell you this, and most of us know this if we just get honest about it, this may be the hardest aspect of love for us to do at all. The idea of, of forgetting about ourselves and putting the other person ahead of us. Because almost everything in us, in our flesh, fights against that. The world certainly tells us a different story, right? It says, listen, you've you got you to look out for you. You've got to take care of you. But God says there's another way. You've got this, this passage in Matthew chapter 7, uh, what we know as the golden rule, where Jesus says, In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. For this is the law and the prophets. In other words, you can, all, you can sum it all up in just this one command. As the King James famously says, Do unto others as you would have them do unto you, is the way the King James puts it. Unfortunately, we tend to turn that around. And say, do unto others as they have done unto you. Give to them as much as they give to you. Do for them as much as they do for you. Never any more. If you begin to see that they're not holding up their end of the bargain, well, you, back off. You don't, have to, you don't have to do this. But that is the polar opposite of God's idea of selfless love. Selfless love is exactly what Jesus says there. That you do for people what you would wish, what you would hope that they would do for you. But you're just doing it. It's selfless love. That love is giving. We certainly see that as a characteristic in this relationship that begins to develop between Boaz and Ruth. Today, I want to share another characteristic of love with you. And that is this. 
Love is honorable. Just one characteristic that we're going to talk about. Love is honorable. And by that, I mean love is done God's way. Love takes the high road. Whether you're talking about a love, and and we will predominantly be talking about a love relationship between a a man and a woman, you know, a a husband-wife type relationship. But whether you're talking about the love relationship within your family, extended family, whether you're talking about the love relationship within the, the body of believers, it always takes the high road. It always takes uh, the course that God intended for it to take. It's honorable. Let's begin to read this morning. Uh, if you have your Bible, if I haven't told you yet, open it to Ruth chapter 3. We're going to read uh, initially through verse 9, beginning in verse 1. Ruth chapter 3. You guys with me here this morning? You all right? All right. You're good? You're glad? You're not jealous that other people got to go to the beach this weekend or anything? That's right. You'd rather be here, right? Come on. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you, that it may be well with you? We looked at that verse a couple weeks ago on Mother's Day. Now, is not Boaz your kinsman, with whose maids you were? Behold, he winnows barley at the threshing floor tonight. Wash yourself, therefore. And anoint yourself, and put on your best clothes, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. And it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies, and you shall go and uncover his feet and lie down. Then he will tell you what you shall do. She said to her, verse 5, all that you say, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law had commanded her. When Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. And she came secretly and uncovered his feet and lay down. It happened in the middle of the night that the man was startled and bent forward. And behold, a woman was lying at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your maid. So spread your covering over your maid, for you are a close relative. Wow. (laughs) What's that about, right? There's a lot going on in this story. as, As we move forward in this in this development of this relationship between Ruth and Boaz, there's a lot of things that we look at it and they say, well, I, I, we don't understand, right? It's kind of strange. Granted, uh, customs, practices can vary from culture to culture and over a period of time. And I'm going to try and explain some of this as a basically just kind of walk through this text today and try and point out how this love relationship was honorable. But what But what never goes out of style, what never changes, what is never dependent on the culture or the period of time, is the fact that love, when it is real love, when it is godly love, it is honorable. It chooses the high road. It does the right thing. That's what that love does. In Ruth chapter 3, we get this account of Naomi approaching her daughter, her daughter-in-law, Ruth, and saying, my daughter-in-law, shall I not seek security for you that it may be well with you? Like I said, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, but it's this idea that, that Naomi is concerned for Ruth after she dies and after she passes away. 
Probably some time has passed from the end of chapter 2 to begin of chapter 3. Probably not much time, but some time has passed. It does seem to act like there's been a, a transition at the end of chapter 2 into chapter 3. It's not hard for Naomi to figure out that, that hey, there's a little something going on between Boaz and Ruth. I mean, it wasn't, again, he was, he was spectacularly generous to her in what he did. I, I think it was probably pretty obvious that that Ruth had caught Boaz's attention. But Ruth is a foreigner. She doesn't know about all the Jewish customs and how all of this works. And as we'll read in a few minutes, I think Boaz doesn't think he's got a snowball's chance in Miami of winning Ruth's love. And we'll read why I think that is uh, in a few moments. So, Naomi kind of gets the ball rolling. Now, just, just so we're clear on this, Naomi doesn't really get the ball rolling. God is rolling this ball. Again, I think if you, if you go back and you read through this whole thing, you can see that God is at work here bringing Ruth and Naomi together. Ruth had honored God, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to park here just a minute. Ruth had honored God She had honored God by coming out of her pagan religion, the only religion she'd ever known, raised in in Moab. She'd come out of her pagan religion, and she had come and said, I'm I'm going with your God, Ruth, or Naomi. I'm going to follow your God. Jehovah God is going to be my God. She honored God by doing that. She had honored God by taking on the responsibility of caring for her mother-in-law, a responsibility which she didn't have to take up. She honored God. She honored God by leaving, by by basically disobeying Naomi when Naomi said, no, go back. Don't, don't come with me. Go back to your people. Go back to your country. Go back to your land. You, you, can, you can still have, find a husband there. You can still have children. Don't go with me. Go back. And Ruth said, no, I, don't even say it to me again. You go back and read it in the chat. She said, don't even say this to me again. I'm going with you. Where you go, I will go. Where you die, I will die. She honored God in that. She honored God by, by leaving her family, her friends, her nation, her country, her gods, and going with Naomi and choosing Naomi's God. And this is a principle, ladies and gentlemen. Ruth honored God. And this is a principle that I've taught people for years. If you honor God, God will honor you. That is simply a principle of Scripture. If you will honor God with your life, In other words, if you will honor God with the decisions that you make, if you honor God with the time that you have, if you honor God in, 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 as Jesus says, by seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, as he says in Matthew 6, 33, if you will do that, God will honor you. Now, this needs to be made clear because otherwise we're going to fall off into this health, wealth, and prosperity thing. You're going to get the wrong idea. We have to leave it in God's hand how he chooses to honor a person. So that doesn't mean, oh, if you, if you do what God wants, you're going you're to have two Cadillacs and you're going to have a big house. And you, that's No. God wants to give you two Cadillacs, praise him, loan me one. But that's not necessarily what it, what it means. But, what it, but, but it is a principle that if you honor God with your life, God will honor you. Ruth had honored God. And so Naomi's not really... Uh, hatching something up. Naomi's not really trying to play matchmaker in this whole thing. Okay, maybe she is a little. <laughs> maybe she is a little. But what Naomi really is, is an instrument in the hand of God to accomplish God's purposes of bringing Boaz and Ruth together. Now, let me see if I can explain a little bit about what's 
going on in this. You have here in, in this opening part of chapter 3, you have a couple of different Jewish customs coming together. One of those customs was known as the kinsman-redeemer custom. The kinsman-redeemer custom uh, is found in Leviticus chapter 25, and it taught that if a, uh, a person or a family, a, a, a man or, or a man's family, came under hard times financially, economically, it was, they were bad off, God's law allowed, because God had divided up the land and by, by tribes, by families, so to speak, God had divided up, God allowed that a, a close family member, a close kinsman, could redeem or buy that family out of financial hardships. They could, they could purchase the land from them, if you will, really it was kind of a lease, but purchase the land back from them and provide for that family. That family kind of came up under their care. That's what a kinsman redeemer was, and, and that's what Naomi needed because Elimelech, her husband, had died, and she's returned to Israel, and Elimelech had owned land. We had talked about that. But in this case, it's not just the kinsman redeemer custom that's in play here. The land also came with a young woman who was a widow who had no children, and that brought what's known as the Leveret marriage custom into play. And we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. I explained that. You can go back and listen to that if you want to, what that was about. But basically, the bottom line is this. Whoever redeemed, the close relative that redeemed the land from Naomi, because it was Elimelech's land that had been given to him, and now Naomi was the widow. Her two sons had died. Whoever redeemed or bought the land off to help Naomi out, also had the responsibility of taking Ruth, the daughter-in-law, as his wife. Now, I know that these customs may sound strange to us. We may think, well, that is crazy. <laughs> but remember, the customs were designed primarily to protect wives and widows who, who would have been left without nothing and to ensure that the, that the land stayed in the family to which God had had given it in the first place to keep it in the, in the proper, where to, so that nobody else could come and take advantage or anything else. It really was a very ingenious way of doing it. It may seem strange to us, but it, it had its purposes. I might also remind us that uh, we probably have some, some courtship or marrying practices that probably seem pretty strange to some people in some parts of the world or in other cultures or other, other times. I was thinking about the fact that, I forget what the statistic is, how many of it now, but it's a quite a large percentage of single people now who um, look for a future spouse, or we're talking about a future husband or wife, online on a dating service, and they allow a machine, a computer, to tell them who is the best match for them. Now, I'm not here to, to say it's good or bad. I'm just saying that probably would seem like a pretty strange custom to the people back then. You let a machine pick who you're going to marry? You think we're bad because we let our parents pick it. <laughs> The bottom line is this, ladies and gentlemen, the bottom line is this. Nothing that Ruth and Naomi do here is ungodly or immoral or deceptive. It is honorable. They're following exactly the letter of the law as they begin to do this. Ruth tells Naomi, or Naomi tells Ruth, take a bath, get cleaned up, put on some, some, some fragrant oil, almost certainly some fragrance, some perfume. Put on your best outfit and go down to the threshing floor. 
Now, the reason Naomi told Ruth to do that, partly, obviously, is practical. It's hot. They worked hard. They didn't get to take a bath every day back then. Well, there's some practical reasons. But really, it's probably more symbolic than anything else because what Ruth was doing, in essence, was she was preparing herself in the same way that a bride prepares herself for her wedding day by washing and anointing herself with oil and, and putting on her, her best dress, if you will. That's really kind of what, what Ruth, Naomi was telling Ruth to do. Boaz is down at the threshing floor. The threshing floor was a, uh, it, it was a platform, really, a raised platform, usually, if possible, built up on a hill. And it was used by multiple people in the community, multiple landowners. They would, they would bring their barley or their wheat, the stalks, everything they'd harvested out of the fields. They would bring it to the threshing floor, and they would, they would thrash it, which usually involved uh, hitting the stalks, against the floor, perhaps walking on them or have animals stomping on them. Or, and the purpose was to break apart the seed from what was called the hull or the husk that the seed was contained in. All that had to be separated somehow. And they would, they would do this practice. They would try and break it apart and you'd have all this, you know, what was called chaff, this, this leftover, you know, stalk and, and uh, husk and all that kind of stuff. And it was all mixed in with the seed. It was all there. And on the threshing floor, uh, as, they, as they were threshing the seed, they would take usually a basket or something like that, and they would throw this, all this material, they would throw it up into the air. And the breeze, why well, they usually did it in the evening, because the breeze would pick up, and, and they would throw it up in the air, and the breeze would carry off the chaff. It would just kind of blow it away, and then the heavier grains would fall back into the basket or fall to the threshing floor. That's what Boaz is doing. Some people said, well, why would Boaz be there? He's wealthy. He's rich. He's got servants. Why wouldn't he have somebody else doing that? I don't know. Maybe, maybe he needed his, his employees to get some rest because he needed them in the field the next day. Maybe he just liked doing threshing. More than likely... He was protecting, he was guarding his grain. That was the same thing as money. I mean, that was his livelihood. And he was ensuring, it was, like I said, it was used by multiple people in the community. There were oftentimes raiders and thieves who would come through at night. The grain, once it was out of the husk, it was at its most vulnerable point. And so he just came and worked with his employees. Now, because Naomi tells Ruth to wait until after Boaz has eaten. What does it say in the, I think, latter part of verse 3? Uh, do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Oh, I know where this is going. And because then it also says in verse 7, Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was, say it, merry. Oh, yeah. Now I get it. And Naomi, she's a slick one. Let him eat. Wait a man's heart is through his stomach. But even better than that, get him drunk. Right? He eats, he drinks, his heart is merry. Now, listen, can I tell you something? Can I tell you why we think that way, automatically why we think that way? Because our culture has taught us to automatically think that way. Because that's the way it's done in our culture, right? Hey, get a few drinks in her, loosen her up, make your move. Right? Right? Uh, the, the Hebrew word, the word that's translated merry, uh, uh, Boaz's heart was merry. The Hebrew word uh, in the text literally means the heart was pleased. It's used other places in the Bible to simply refer to emotional well-being or contentment. So there is nothing within the text itself that, that would indicate uh, over-drinking or drunkenness or anything like that. Boaz simply worked a hard day's work 
had a good meal, and laid down and went to sleep. But our culture has taught us, oh yeah. See, what I'm trying to say to you folks is, what I want you to see is this is honorable. Every step of the way, what they're doing is honorable. They're following the law of God in, in this relationship that is building up between them. By the way, the reason I think that Naomi told Ruth, don't go down to the threshing floor until, uh, I mean, don't let, don't let yourself be known until he's laid down and gone to sleep. Don't, don't let anybody know you're there. I think the reason for that is, is because if she had simply gone down and gone to the threshing floor and said, what's up, guys? Gone in there. I think her intentions would have been misconstrued. Mis- misperce- Do you understand what I'm saying? She's dolled up. She's cleaned up. She's smelling good, looking good. It's the middle of the night. Oh, yeah. She come down to grab her little Boaz. Right? That, that's, what, that's what they naturally would have assumed. So Naomi says, no, don't make sure, don't make yourself known. Now, again, we say, well, now, you're not going to tell me Naomi's not conniving. Something's going on. I mean, look, she knows. She knows he's at the, at the threshing floor. She knows when he's going to be threshing out the floor. She knows when he's going to eat. She knows he's going to lay down and go to sleep there. How does she know all that? The reason she knows all that, ladies and gentlemen, is simple. Naomi knows how it works. She understands how the, how the harvest process works. Don't you remember she was married to a man named Elimelech who owned land, who was a farmer? How many nights had she watched her husband go down to the threshing floor and thresh the, the, the seed and collect it? How many times did she fix a meal that he could carry with him? How many times did she know that he spent the night down there to guard the... She knew exactly how it was going to work. And so she just said, here's what's going to happen. Boaz is going to thresh the seed, he's going to eat a good meal, and he's going to lay down and go to sleep. And after he lays down and goes to sleep, because here, here it is, right? This is the weirdest part for us, right? What does it say? Where is that? When Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain, and she came secretly and uncovered his feet <laughs> and lay down. What is up with that? Again, the reason that seems so strange to us is our own cultural context. Because in our cultural context, certainly it's not unusual for an unmarried woman to sleep with an unmarried man. or, or married. It's, it's not an unusual thing, but she's uncovering more than his feet in our culture. You understand what I'm saying to you? What you need to understand in the Jewish uh, culture, to be under someone's covering, to be under their cloak or, or their blanket, was a symbol. It was a sign that you were under their protection and under their provision. So what Naomi instructed Ruth to do and what Ruth did was absolutely perfectly normal and honorable. What she did was go and lie at his feet and just wait. Verse 8, Boaz is is startled. In the middle of the night, he wakes up and there's a woman laying at his feet who hasn't had that happen to him before. (laughs) And it's dark, okay? It's not, it's dark. He's been asleep. It's like, who are you? And she says, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm your maid. I'm your servant. And Now, place your covering over me. What Ruth was doing, ladies and gentlemen, what Ruth was doing was saying, what time is it? I got to hurry. What Ruth was doing was she was saying to Boaz, I want you to be my kinsman redeemer. I want to marry you, Boaz. I choose you. Honorable. Every single step of the way. She, sure, she could have gone in and got up next to him and laid by him and, slept her way maybe to a a wedding proposal. 
that wouldn't be honorable, ladies and gentlemen. That's not what God intended. It's not what God designed. And Naomi and Ruth chose the high road, the honorable way. And that's genuine, true love. I was watching uh, this week the Today Show. I think it was Thursday morning. And they had a woman on there. And I'm sorry, I cannot remember her name. But she is attempting to make the Olympic, uh, American Olympic track and field team as a hurdler. She's been on the team before, but she's older now. She's attempting to make the, the team. There was a little bit about that, but that's not really what the story about. What the story was about was that at 29 years of age, this woman uh, has made it it public that it is her intention to remain a virgin until her wedding day, that she is saving herself for her spouse. And the woman that interviewed you, I'm telling you, you could just tell it was all she could do to keep from just busting out laughing right in this girl's face because this concept seemed so foreign to her as she tried to explain why it was important for her to save herself for her future husband, whoever that would be. The world it can't understand that, ladies and gentlemen. It's, it's a foreign concept when you begin to talk about doing love God's way, a way that is, that is honorable. Okay, let's... let's Let's finish up uh, at least part of the story this morning. I'm going to begin picking it up in verse 10. Okay? Y'all all right? Then he said, verse 10, Then he said, May you be blessed of the Lord, my daughter. It was just a, a term of endearment. May you be blessed of the Lord, my daughter. You have shown your last kindness to be better than the first by not going after young men, whether poor or rich. Now you, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you whatever you ask. For all my people in the city know that you are a woman of excellence. Now, it is true, I am a close relative. However, there is a relative closer than I. Uh Uh-oh. Remain this night. And when morning comes, if he will redeem you, good. Let him redeem you. But if he does not wish to redeem you, then I will redeem you. As the Lord lives, lie down until morning. And watch this. Watch verse 14. Very careful to say this. So she lay at his feet. So there's no mistaking. So she lay at his feet until morning and rose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Again, might be misunderstood. Again, he said, give me the cloak that is on you and hold it. So she held it and he measured six measures of barley and laid it on her. And then she went into the city. When she came to her mother-in-law, she asked, how did it go, my daughter? And she told her all that the man had done for her. She said, these six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said, do not go to your mother-in-law empty-handed. And then she said, wait, my daughter, until you know how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest until he has settled it today. Uh, I love the honor that Ruth and Naomi display in this. And we see that in, in the first nine verses. But now I think you begin to see how Boaz is honorable in this relationship as well. He's very careful to protect her, to protect her reputation, to protect her as a person. And it's very clear that Boaz has feelings for Ruth. I think, as I said earlier, verse 10 kind of reveals to us why Ruth was kind of forward with, with, the, with the invitation to marry her. Boaz is an older gentleman. He's wealthy, sure, but he's older. And we find something out about his character, but we find something out even more about Ruth's character by what he says. That little phrase in there where, where he says in verse 10, the last part, you've shown your last kindness be better than the first. In other words, she treated her mother-in-law very well, and now you're being so kind to me, he says, 
watch this, by not going after young men, whether poor or rich. In other words, Boaz understands this is not about money for Ruth. Ruth could have had, apparently, the implication is, if Ruth wanted a young, rich guy, she could have had a young, rich guy. And I don't know, and I don't think I really want to take a survey here, but if we were asked ladies if they had a choice between an old, rich guy and a young, rich guy, which would they take? We're not going to take that survey today. But I think Ruth is in love. I think this man has ministered to her. This man has met her where she was in the, in the midst of her, her harshness, the harshness of her life, the reality of all the trials and difficulties that she's had. Here comes this man. In one day, it all changed. In one day, this man, in the providence of God, Ruth shows up in this man's field. And he meets her needs and he ministers to her. And Ruth recognizes the goodness of this man and she begins to fall in love. And she says, you're the man. You're the one. I want to live with. You're the one I want to marry. It's honorable love. And Boaz does the honorable thing. Perhaps hard for us to grasp again, but the honorable thing. Boaz cares for Ruth. Ruth cares for Boaz. Boaz wants to marry Ruth. Ruth wants to marry Boaz. I think Ruth is, or Boaz is blown away that Ruth has, has said, I choose you. I want you to be my kinsman redeemer. I think he, he wants this relationship. But watch, this is going to be very important. Boaz says, you're right, I am a kinsman, but there is a closer kinsman. And the Levitical law stipulated that the closest relative had the first right and opportunity and responsibility to redeem. Now, in our culture, I think this is what we would say. This is one of our sayings. Well, all's fair in love and war. Hey, that dude not around. Ruth's here, looking good. She wants you, you want her. Go for it. All's fair in love and war. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a, a principle that Boaz understood that you and I must learn and never forget. And that is this. Honoring God is always more important than pleasing ourselves. Always. Sure, Boaz loved this woman. I don't, I don't, you could tell immediately the attraction that he has for her and this, the way he reaches out to her and things he does for her. And now all of a sudden he finds out she actually has the same feeling for him and she wants to be with him and he wants to be with her. But Boaz chooses God's word above his own feelings. Boaz says, my daughter, I'll do for you anything you want. But wait, there's a closer kinsman. How, how heart-wrenching that would have been for Boaz. But ladies and gentlemen, honoring God is always more important than pleasing yourself. And so, he says, if he, if he will redeem you, then so be it. But if not, I'll do it. And, and Naomi, she knows it when he... When he sends the grain with, it, with Ruth, Naomi knows he won't sleep till it's settled this day. Because she knows how he feels. She knows how it is. But it's the, it's, the, it's the priority of honorable love. Not self-pleasing, self-focused, self-centered love, but honorable love. I, um, my wife knows that my uh, favorite uh, film of all time is Casablanca, my greatest my, my favorite movie of all time. Well, uh, Casablanca, some of you may not know this, but recently celebrated its 70th anniversary, and they celebrated the 70th anniversary by showing it in theaters again, in, you know, like one theater in this area on one night. But uh, they had to, I'm sure they had to make room for Men in Black 3 or something, I don't know. But, but no, they showed it, so they showed it one night. My, it's not, not, I don't think Casablanca is really my wife's cup of tea. I don't think it's really her deal. But she graciously and lovingly agreed to go with me. It was awesome. It was unbelievable on the big screen. I've seen it a thousand times, but just, I'd never seen it on the big screen. 
It was so good. I wanted to dress up in character and go like bogey, but she drew the line and no, we're not, not doing that. But the 75th anniversary is coming. Anyway, one of the things I think that attracts me about that film, one of the things I like, I mean, it's a lot of stuff about it, but one of the things that, that I'm intrigued about is the fact that the, the leading characters played by Humphrey Bogart and Ingrid Bergman, um, Rick and Ilsa, choose to do the honorable thing in the film. Now, I'm not necessarily extolling all the moral virtues of Rick and Ilsa, but, but they, and I don't want to give too much away if there's anybody in here that hasn't seen the greatest movie of all time, but let me just say they have an opportunity to choose for themselves, and they choose the honorable decision. Can I just ask you as we close this morning, what about you? Now, listen, listen, I know, I know what this kind of message does to me because I know where I used to be. Forget about the past. Forget about whatever has gone on in your life. Forget about how you may or may not have done love honorable. Forget about how you dated or whether you were sexually active or any of that stuff. Forget about that. What I'm talking about is now. What about you? What about the idea of honorable love in my relationships, even with with friends and family members, within the body of Christ, certainly within the relationship if, if, if you're married between a husband and a wife, or if you're planning on being married or, or you're dating someone, are you doing it honorably? Will you make a decision to do it honorably and saying, I, I know that this seems like, but I'm going to do this because this honors God. And I don't know, I was thinking about this this morning when I was praying back there and kind of going over my message. So I just felt like I need to particularly say this. Um, and again, it can be women as well, but it tends to be men. Um, men, if you're married or even if you're single, uh, I know what statistics are in this nation of men that are addicted to pornography. And can I just say this? If, if you struggle with pornography in your life, that is not honorable to either God or to your spouse. And if you need help in that area, talk to somebody. Let us help you break free of what can be a very serious addiction. Honorable love. That's what God wants us to choose. My, how times have changed. Ruth and Boaz both realized that pleasing themselves should not be the number one priority for people that want to love God's way. Obeying God's guidelines for love may seem old-fashioned in our world today, but honoring God in our love relationships brings the kind of relationships that are strong, vibrant, and lasting. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sundays at 1030 at Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. And we welcome anyone looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross. And it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.